What did Jesus really mean when he said, follow me? Did he mean to simply confess him as our Lord and Savior and then just live our lives the way we see fit? Or did he mean to do the things that he said to do and to live the way he lived? Is that even possible for us? I want to know. Welcome to the Doctrine of Christ. We have a challenging episode this week. Jesus tells us to follow Him, so we're going to find out exactly what that means and how we can accomplish it. But first, I have an announcement to make. Six years ago, the Father gave me a song called Follow Me, and I didn't know what to do with it until now. This week, I recorded it and did a lyric video for it. I put a link to that video right here and one in the description box below. The song Follow Me is coming from the perspective of Jesus talking to us. So keep that in mind as you watch. But for now, let's get started with this great teaching. Get out your Bibles, your pen and your paper, take plenty of notes. Let's grow together. In our Doctrine of Christ, for today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. Now, this is the first command and the first doctrine of Christ unto every disciple. Follow me. It begins there. This is ground zero. So we want to make this our meditation for our DOC study for this evening to really understand what it means to follow Jesus. And in the text in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, the apostle Peter said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example the sufferings of Christ that he endured for us while he was in the flesh is our example and our reason for following him, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps who did no sin. This is why we're looking at a perfect example. He suffered for us and he did it sinlessly Mm -hmm. who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth. We serve a sinless Savior that lived and died. He didn't just die for us, but he lived for us. He suffered for us all through his life and then died for us. That's why he's our example. And when Jesus says, follow me, we are following specifically that example that he left. I want to read something from John Owen. John Owen is one of my favorite writers. He was 16th century or 17th century Puritan. And John Owen said this in his sermon on conformity unto Christ and following his example. This is so profound. He said, the third thing proposed to declare the use of the person of Christ in religion is that conformity which is required of us unto him. This is a requirement. It's not an option. It's a command, follow me. And in that command, it's explicit that that means conforming ourselves to be like him. This is the great design and projection of all believers. Every one of them hath the idea or image of Christ in his mind. And do we do that? As we strive to follow him, is that's what in our mind, is it really in our mind focusing on Jesus and the life he lived in the Gospels to be able to conform to him? And I love that acronym. I say it over and over and over the C, the D, and the E, the cross, the finished work of Christ, 
The D, the doctrine of Christ, and the E is the example. And they intertwine. The example is a doctrine. One of the doctrines of Christ is that we follow his example. And Mr. Owen goes on to say something very profound. He says, every one of them hath the idea or image of Christ in his mind in the eye of faith as it is presented unto him in the glass of the gospel. And the way that he presents it is like the gospels are just like a glass that we look into to behold Christ, that we can learn of him and learn of his example and conform ourselves to him. And when we hear that command, follow me in the eye of faith in our mind, that's what we should be thinking of. Jesus in the flesh, as he not only eventually died for us, but as he lived for us before he died for us. Now let's look at the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And this is the text that Brother Owen was referring to in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And what we behold and what we think about, we will be transformed into that. And if we will behold Christ with the eye of faith, and when we go forth every day understanding that our prime directive is to follow Jesus. If in the eye of faith we are beholding him, and every day as we go to our scriptures, we want to learn more about him, the way that we can conform ourselves more, and we can do this all of our life and never get to the 100% level. But we're after this because this is what he said, follow me. So this is our goal. This is our lifelong pursuit to know him better and to conform ourselves more and more unto his image. Well, he, he told us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. So denying ourselves is part of that whole uh, conforming to his image because, well, you know, I mean, we're, we're dying to ourselves, and, and we're, you know, and if we think about it, what we want to do in our flesh every day of our life is going to be wrong. You know, there's such a gap between us and the sinless Savior that unless we purposely every day by the eye of faith behold Christ in the Gospels to conform ourselves after him, we're going to be way off in left field so quick. You know, following me isn't just something that we do. We go to an altar, we say a prayer, you know, and we're all good, you know. And uh, But following me is every day having Christ in our heart with the eye of faith, learning, hungry to know him more and to, to pursue after him. And Always there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. His thoughts are so high above ours as that heaven is above the earth. So we've got to behold him. And uh, anything else is going to take us way out into the cornfield. Um, in the Gospel of John, we can look at the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, and Jesus said of John that of men that were born unto woman, there was never one greater than John. That's a pretty good compliment. And he was the perfect forerunner for the perfect Savior. And in the ministry of John the Baptist, we have the perfect example of how we are to introduce Christ to other people. John the Baptist 
introduce Christ to the world. And his example is pristine for the way we present Christ to the world. Let's look at what he said. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold him, you know, and that's what we need to do to the world is just behold, there's Jesus. And we need to present him as the virgin born sinless son of God that suffered. You know, people need to know Jesus suffered for you and he died for you. Behold him, God in the flesh that came down, loved you so much that he did that for you. Behold the lamb of God that will take away your sins. If you will just put your trust in him and uh, he will never let you down. If you trust in Jesus, he will never, never let you down. And then John said probably the most important and the most neglected aspect of ministry. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. In the gospel of John, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And we need to be 100% committed to lifting him up and getting ourselves out of the way. You see, they don't need to see us, Jimmy. We need to just get as little of us out of this as we can and just lift up Jesus. That's what this is all about. You know, look at his doctrine. Look at his life. Look at his example. Look at our Jesus. He is so great. There's nothing like him. He will never let you down. We want to lift him up. And as we do, the Holy Spirit is going to convict people that, yes, this is true. This is right. I can trust Jesus. There is a solution for my pain, for my guilt, for my suffering, and it is Jesus Christ. And we must increase or we must decrease that he must increase. The number one principle of ministry. And we're living at a time that there's probably more flesh and more self-exaltation in ministry. People go out of their way. They, I mean, when you just, when I listen to someone and they just brag on themselves over and over and over, I'm this, I'm that, you know, I've done this, I've done that, you know, uh, ain't I something? Well, no, you're not. Uh, we're not anything. It's all about him. So all you got to do, to be successful in ministry is learn how to get off stage. You know, you're in a band, Jimmy, or was in a band for years and was with one of the best in the world, Petra. And when you have a, a band come on for your warm-up band, they have to know when to get off the stage. You know, a lot of times they'll try to one up the main act. And what you, do you know, mean a lot of times it was almost <laughs> every time we, yeah. they always went over if I remember right. They always yeah. went over their time. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we got to realize. We're the warm-up band. We just need to say, hey, behold the Lamb of God and get out of the way. You know, he'll do the rest. Yeah. Um, let's look at John chapter 3 and verse 34. And this is why Jesus is preeminently qualified to be worthy of our complete exaltation, attention. In John 3 and 34, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. We have the glorious honor to be able to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, to be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, we can have some marvelous blessings in the things of God. We can draw water out of the wells of salvation, but none of us have 
but the spirit in a measure. And with Jesus Christ, he was perfect, he was sinless, and he had the spirit of God without measure. He spoke the words of the Father unto us. That's why he is our trustworthy example and no other. And so many people, I fear, when they um, become a Christian and they pray the sinner's prayer and they strive to follow him, they, what they have in their mind is what some man is telling them, some uh, denominational statement of faith. They follow along after this guy, that guy, or whatever guy. And the only thing that passes the bar is to follow him, to absolutely have in our mind the example of Christ and each and every day conforming ourselves unto that sinless son of God. In the epistle of Colossians chapter two, there's a fantastic verse that speaks to the fullness of Christ. And we've talked a lot about the relationship of the father, the son and the Holy ghost. We did, um, talked about that a lot in our doctrine of Christ on communion with the Holy ghost. And in Colossians two and nine for in him, Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we talked about this and you can't talk about it enough. The father loved us so much. He sent Jesus, Jesus, spoke to us the very words of the father. He lived and died for us. He sent back the Holy ghost that he can be with us even better, you know, even better than, uh, it was when he was on the earth with his disciples. And now the Holy ghost will bring to our remembrance what he said. So we can conform ourselves to his image and follow him. We've got to be focused. We've got to be focused. And if we're looking at anything else, we're off focus. And uh, it's just like um, if you're going from point A to point B, if you're just off a quarter of an inch, by the time you go 100 miles, you're way out. So we got to be focused. We've got to be focused in understanding it's all about him and conforming ourselves to his image. And look at this next verse. Oh, I love verse 10 in let's read nine and 10 for in him dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him. You don't need Jesus plus anything. We are complete in him and in our relationship with Christ, we have everything we need and you got that. You got your Bible. You're good to go. You don't need an all over the place. People are saying, you know, you got to add in the wisdom of the Nagamati codices. You've got to go to the, the Talmud. You've got to have your Kabbalah wizards and all of this. We're complete in him. And these are the basic things that Satan wants to turn us from the very first doctrine of following Christ. And if he can get us off on this, uh, we're never going to be right on anything. Now let's look at Leviticus chapter 19 and verse two. And let's think a little bit about holiness. You know, if you would ask a half a dozen believers or even a half a dozen preachers, what it means to be holy, you'd probably get a half a dozen different answers. And uh, in Leviticus 19 and 2, it's a command of scripture. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, ye shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We are to be holy because he is holy. We are to be like him. A holy God wants people 
to imitate him in his holiness. Now, this scripture is quoted in the New Testament from the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and in verse 15 and 16, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Sometimes we have to refresh our dirty mouth a little bit. In verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. The apostle Peter quoting Leviticus enjoining this command of God upon all believers. So once again, we have to, uh, in light of the doctrine of Christ, what is what does it mean to be holy? And this is right what our doctrine of Christ is talking about. Follow me. To follow Christ is to be holy. Let's look at some text. Um, let's look in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. And the text says here, and this is probably one of the most attacked doctrines of the day, the virgin birth. And this is assailed by um, many, many, many different directions. In Luke one thirty-five, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Jesus was holy in the womb of Mary because Mary was a virgin. Joseph was not Jesus's father. He was born without original sin. He was holy from the time he was in his mother's womb. So be ye holy for I am holy. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Holy One of Israel. And to be like him is to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. This is what holiness is. It's following the example of Christ. Now, in Mark chapter 1, let's read the text in Mark chapter 1, and let's look at verse 24. And let's read verse 23 with it. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. You didn't have to tell this devil who he was. He knew. And he knew he wasn't like anyone else that was around Nobody else on the earth like this guy. He is the Holy One of God. And there's nobody else around that we want to look to. We want to behold the Lamb of God. We want to be so focused on that. We want to so impress this upon people's minds that they will always understand that following Jesus is conforming ourselves unto him. And... Um, Let's look at Hebrews in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. The scripture says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless. You know, you ever think about Jesus being harmless? I mean, he's not going to hurt us. He's not going to ever do us any harm or wrong. He is holy. And this is speaking of Jesus before the right hand of God as our high priest and intercessor. He was holy in his life. He was holy in his death. And at the right hand of the Father, he is holy and harmless. He is not going to do us any wrong. He is there for our good to intercede and lift us up before the Father. And high priest who became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. 
and made higher than the heavens. He is separate from everyone else in the human race because he is the sinless son of God, the only begotten savior. Behold the lamb of God. If we can just lift him up and help people to see that holy, harmless high priest at the right hand of God, uh, people will be drawn unto him. How could they not be drawn unto a Jesus like that? And we had a thought um, in the other teaching we did. It seems like we have these thoughts that come out. When you study the doctrine of Christ, there are things come out you never thought about before. But we were thinking about God being humble. You know, that could be a T-shirt. Well, also, you ever think about Jesus is harmless. You know, is that a T-shirt? You know, Jesus is harmless. We don't think about that. But this is what the scripture says about our, our great high priest before the right hand of the Father. We're going to have a whole line of DOC T-shirts for people eventually. Boy, we could. These little things, uh, you know, God is humble. Jesus is harmless. You they're, know. Converse, they're conversation starters. Yeah, they are. You just wear them, and and uh, somebody says, what's that mean? Opens the door for you to just spread the gospel to them right there. Yeah. And, you know, we were teaching on um, meditation on Friday night on FOJC, the law of meditation. And we, we have to look at scripture that way. You know, we need to digest these things. You know, yet God's humble. Jesus is harmless. Well, what does that mean? That means that there before the right hand of the Father, he's on our side. You know, if God be for us, who can be against us? And, uh, you know, that's great, great, great um, food for our soul. Man. Um, something else John Owen said, and this is on page 169 of the first volume of his works. It's from his same sermon on following the example of Christ. I love this. This guy just has a way. He'll give you those little t-shirt sayings, you know, like, you know, we all write this on a wall somewhere, you know, and he says, hence, every true believer hath his heart under the conduct of a, of a habitual inclination and desire to be like unto Christ, a habitual inclination to be like Christ every day. It's our habitual inclination and desire to be like him. I that's like that. our, that's our biggest thing. Follow me. And as we go out and we're following him, as we encounter others, well, why don't you behold the Lamb of God, that harmless, holy high priest at the right hand of the Father? And this is the uh, ground zero of what it's all about, to follow him. Now, let's look at a text in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. And this is another big picture scripture, and it helps to bring the whole thing into focus in Romans chapter eight and verse 29 for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now we got us some $50 words in there. Yeah. And I don't believe as some do that, Every person before they're born is either predestined to heaven or predestined to hell. I believe that we have a choice that we, when we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicts our heart, that we have the ability to believe, repent and believe the gospel is another doctrine of Christ, but it is predestined that there will be a body of believers that is predestined. And in his foreknowledge, that means that the father knows something. He doesn't make you, 
the rest of this evening, he isn't going to make you do anything. But yet in his foreknowledge, he knows everything you're going to do, you see. And this is the difference between foreknowledge and and predestination. And, you know, these are some pretty lofty concepts. And I used to... I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, no, no, I used ahead, to just, Jimmy. I used to, when I would read that verse, the best way I could always rationalize it in my own mind was because he foreknows all who will serve him, then he just predestines us to to do the things that he needs us to do. And I, I'm not saying I was right, but that was the best way I could get my mind around it. Yeah. Yeah, it's in the it's in the foreknowledge, God knowing the end um, before the beginning, and and let's just read the whole thing again, so we'll get it. And and this is saying that when it, and the scripture also says that He knew us before the foundation of the world. Yeah, and the whole point of it, it says, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. Each and every day, follow me. Behold the Lamb of God. When So our lives should look like Christ's lives, his life when he was on the earth? Yeah. When people see us, they, sh- they should be able to see Christ in us. Yeah. Well, almost without us having to say a word, just by by how we are and what how we treat people, how we care for one another, all those things. Yeah, all of it. We're not allowed the um, the holding of grudges, of unforgiveness. We're not allowed to do that. Uh, what about not- traffic, though? Jesus didn't have to be in cars and driving on the interstate and in yeah. town. Well, you know, <laughs> he walked those dusty roads. And, he did, uh, didn't he? Yeah, he walked those dusty roads uh, many miles without air conditioning and rode those donkeys, and uh, he did it all for us. He did a went a lot of ways all over, and uh, so that uh, we could have this great salvation. And this should always be in our mind of being like him. And this was in the Father's mind when he decided that it would be through sending his son that would have salvation right at that moment in uh, eternity past. It was in his mind right there that it's all going to be about people conforming themselves to this son that I'm going to send to die for the world. This is, you know, this is to say this is huge is one of the greatest understatements we could ever say. And, um, we, we want to really emphasize and to, to have a meditation, um, meditating on what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ, uh, just get with that and chew on it until it really comes alive. And we'll see what an important thing we have in the gospels, whereas brother Owen said, we can look into the Gospels and we can behold him and learn to be more and more like him. And um, we're, we're going to fail so much. But in our humble attempts to follow him, the Holy Spirit, if we lift him up, if we decrease so that he might increase, the Holy Spirit will be able to use our lives and use us as instruments to put forth the gospel and introduce others unto the sinless son of God. Let's look at the way the apostle Paul said it um, in Ephesians chapter four, Uh, Ephesians chapter four and verse 11. And these are big picture scriptures. I mean, this is talking about, you know, looky here, folks, this is the most important thing. When we're talking about following Christ, the command to be holy, you know, these, this isn't optional things. This is defining what our Christian life is all about in Ephesians four. Uh, and this is the purpose of ministry here, uh, in Ephesians four and 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists 
and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now, that's some pretty heavy taters there. And this is why we're talking about the doctrine of Christ. If every child of God, and let's just use me and you for an example, Jimmy, if you and I agree, as we do, that the things that Jesus said are true, they're definitive, they are our authority for truth in all matters of faith and doctrine. If we just begin with that, it makes it a lot harder for us to disagree. And we can come to the unity of faith, but we got to agree that the words of Jesus is the final authority, or we'll never get there. Amen. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, comma, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. We are to come. And you see, like Brother Owen said, we have the Gospels. It's like looking in a glass to behold Christ, to conform ourselves to his image. And through the knowledge of the Son of God, we are conformed unto a perfect man. And boy, that's another doctrine of Christ. Be therefore perfect. We'll talk about that some night also. Yeah, but in the in the meantime, does perfect mean we never make a mistake anymore? Well, boy, I hope not. <laughs> but you see, perfect love will cast out all fear. Love fulfills the law, you see. And it, it, it's just like our children. Uh, if, uh, you know... If our child is trying to obey us, but he puts something uh, in the on the counter instead of in the refrigerator, we don't get mad. We're just happy that he tried to obey us, you know. And that's the way the father is with us. He's not mad at us because we're human. He knows we are. Yeah. He loves us even though we are, and he will help us. So we'll never be angelically perfect. But as long as we have a heart of love for the Father to live and serve him, he's good with that. And we're perfect in his sight. You know? Well, and that just means mature. It's like we're, we're not acting as baby children, Christians, you know. We're, we're growing up in the, in the word and the knowledge, and, and our lives are starting to look more and more like Christ. The, the, the older we get, the, the, the longer that we live as children of God. Amen. Amen. And you see, it's just like in the, the passage from Paul, the more we know about him, and you see, that's the purpose of ministry there in that passage, is to bring people into the knowledge and the conformity unto Christ. That's what it's all about. We follow him, we help other people follow him. You know, that's what it's all about. That's what I'm all about. It's the simplicity of Christ. And well, he told the, us uh, that's that's what he told us in our our very uh, well one of our first episodes of the Great Commission. Go teach, go teach everything I've taught you. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing hard here. There's nothing hard here. And you know, the the text where Paul said that we're corrupted from the simplicity of Christ over and over. We see that. And the message of the gospel, the new birth following Christ, faith in the scriptures, it's so simple. And always Satan has to come up with something flowery. You know, oh, you got to add a little this. You got to add a little of that. Look at this guy over here. Ain't he something? Boy, he's so smart. Uh, and, you know, that's always the games that Satan plays. And the things of which we speak here, they're fundamental. They're not optional. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 14, there's such an important text. I guess I say about them all, Donna. But Hebrews 12 and 14, 
follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, that's a serious scripture, right? It doesn't sound like an option. Does it? No, no wiggle room there. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. A very straightforward didactive statement. Now, you would think that the largest uh, ministries in America today and the big name preachers, that they could get this right. Now, I think that any individual of even modest intelligence, even very young children, they can read this and understand it. It doesn't say two different things. It says one thing. Yeah. It says one thing. Now, I want to read uh, what one of the biggest, most famous preachers says about this. This book is Eternal Security by Charles Stanley. And this is what Mr. Stanley says on page 12 of his book. He says, if his holiness demands something in return from those he loves, it is clear that his holiness makes God incapable of unconditional love. Wow. Mm. So according to Mr. Stanley, if holiness is a condition, then God is not a loving God. He goes on to say, if holiness is a condition, his love is not conditional. If his nature forces him to disassociate from certain types of people, his nature stands in the way of his ability to love unconditionally. That that just doesn't make any sense because throughout the whole Bible, he's calling the children of Israel to be set apart. That's what holy is. It's becoming set apart. You're different. You're you're my children. You act a certain way. You eat a certain way. You do this and you do that because I'm holy and I want you to be- behave and act and live a certain way. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all through the Bible. It's all over. It's, it's from the front of our scriptures to the back. It's from the the Torah to the, the Pauline epistles. This is so, and it's so clear, Jimmy. If this wasn't so clear, it wouldn't be so disturbing. And you know, Peter warned about people deceiving and, and fables and things like that, twisting, twisting the words of God. Yeah. Man. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul gives a list of people that if they claim to be a brother, that we have to disassociate ourselves from them. We are commanded to. Mm. Uh, Let's just read that passage since I brought it up um, in 1 Corinthians 5. But I think it's clear here that we're either forced to believe the Word of God or Charles Stanley. And for me, that's an easy one. And that's why we want to slow it down in this DOC series. We want to think on things. You know, we just don't want to... put information out like popcorn, we want to chew on it. And as we really meditate on the Word of God, of what it means to follow Christ, that this is fulfilling the command, be holy, for I am holy, it's not optional. And then we see what's being taught. We can see how far that the modern evangelical church has gone from the doctrine of Christ. And Jesus' half-brother, Jude, he said, we must earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, and it was delivered by Jesus Christ. Well, and it goes back to what you said earlier. You yeah. said earlier, if we're going in a straight line and we just veer off just a little bit, by the time we get to the end, we're way off. Oh, yeah. And that's what's happened, you know, since since Jesus, since the apostles, since the first and second century, third century uh, apostolic 
father, forefathers. Um, it's just been, it was just off course a little bit. Now, 2000 years later, it's just way off. Yeah. It's just way off. Now, how far off would a person get if they would believe what Mr. Stanley said, that holiness is not a condition? I mean, is there any way we're misunderstanding what he's saying? No, I'll read it again. No, I guarantee you there's not. Uh, I'll read it again, just in case that someone will think that. uh, And, you know, it is so crazy. I mean, that's crazy. But the things in this book, they're crazy. I mean, mean, the Bible says one thing, and bless his heart, Mr. Stanley is saying something else. And uh, let me read it again. We'll just read it one more time with feeling care. And uh, he says what he says, and he says many things like this. Uh, Well, I'll not go through all of them. There's too many. But he means just what he says. I'll read the passage again. He said, if his holiness demands something in return from those he loves, it is clear that his holiness makes God incapable of unconditional love. If if holiness is a condition, his love is not unconditional. If his nature forces him to disassociate from certain types of people, his nature stands in the way of his ability to love unconditionally. This is like Brian Houston of Hillsongs. And when one of his, uh, and I think there was more than one on his worship team, they were openly uh, professing to be homosexuals and lesbians. And when Mr. Houston was asked about it, this is what he said. He said, if I were to exclude them from the worship team because of their lifestyle, I would be not uh, I would be not acting with unconditional love. I would be judging them. So this is this is we've talked about this greasy grace thing uh, off and on. And this is exactly where it comes from. And it's so unbiblical of. It's as unbiblical as something. I mean, the Bible says this, and over here is Charles Stanley. You know, they're polar opposites here. Hmm. Let's read this text since I brought it up in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covetous or a railer or excuse me, or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. So. You know, the Bible, again, is very clear. You don't, you see, we need to get back to believing the Bible. And we've got to shut out all of these other voices. And we've got to hear the doctrine of Christ in its purity and its simplicity. And what Mr. Stanley is doing, he is twisting the word of God. He is twisting it. And as Peter said, he is resting it to his own destruction. And he's not leading people into truth. He's leading people to error. But enough about Mr. Stanley. Um, let's look at John chapter 15. We'll just read a couple more here. Um, John chapter 15, and let's look at verses 3 and 4. And this is Jesus speaking in the high priestly prayer. Or no, this is chapter 15, the high priestly prayer, 17. But he says here, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. We have the words of Jesus. And when we are obeying the words of Jesus, we are clean because he is holy He is holiness. He is the Holy One. And when we receive and believe his words, we are clean. Isn't that a great word? 
clean. Yeah. We are clean through the word he spoke to us. Fantastic. And in the, um, let's close out here with Psalm 119 and let's look at verse nine. And in this text, it says the very same thing. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. As we conform ourselves to the word of God, we are clean. And the ultimate way that we are to know and understand what holiness and cleanness is, is through the words that Jesus gave unto us. Um, I'll close out here with one final thought from I'll read another one of the Puritans, uh, Thomas Manton. He was another one of the 16th century Puritans, and he preached a sermon on Psalm 119, verse 9, and he begins out by saying, I love this first statement. He says, Now the main thing which the word enforceth is holiness. The word of God enforces holiness far from holiness not being a condition everything in the word of god enforces holiness and holiness is being like jesus be holy for i am holy following the sinless son of god making him our example that's what holiness says mm-hmm.